You are listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. Though located in the heart of the Silicon Valley, you will hear fervent, old-fashioned revival preaching from the pulpit of North Valley Baptist Church. It is our desire that you will be helped by this gospel message. Nehemiah chapter number five. I want to share with you tonight a a phrase in Nehemiah chapter number five that God used to challenge my heart and to speak to me and help me. And I want you to see it with me. We'll read in verse number one down through verse number seven. And I'll give you the thought for tonight. Nehemiah chapter number five. Let's look at verse number one. We'll read down through verse number seven. Let me make this announcement really quickly. If some men will help right after the service, we'll pack, pack up these white chairs and we'll move them back here. That way we can clean off the parking lot later this week. So you, one, two, three, four, this is your job, all right? That'll be a big help if you can help me with that. Verse number one, the Bible said, And there was a great cry of the people and of their wives against their brethren, the Jews. For there were that said, We are sons and our daughters are many. Therefore we take up corn for them that we may eat and live. Some also there were that said, We have mortgaged our lands, vineyards, and houses that we might buy corn because of the dearth. There were also that said, We have borrowed money for the king's tribute, and that upon our lands and vineyards. Yet now our flesh is as the flesh of our brethren, our children as their children. And lo, we bring into bondage our sons and our daughters to be servants, and some of our daughters are brought into bondage already. Neither is it in our power to redeem them for other men of our lands and vineyards." Nehemiah has just gotten the news report that there's famine in the land. Some people are starving. Some are so hungry they're stealing things. Others are mortgaging their land, their vineyards, to have enough money to buy corn. And those who they're making these deals with are charging them outrageous interest rates. On top of that, the king is taxing them in a ridiculous fashion so that the people are being misused and abused and literally some sold into slavery. Nehemiah is dealing with this on top of Sanballat and Tobiah, on top of the responsibility to build the wall, which is the entire reason why he went there in the first place. Now the Bible tells us in verse number six, the initial emotional response that Nehemiah has to this report. The Bible said, this is Nehemiah speaking, and I was very angry when I heard their cry and these words. So Nehemiah hears about the mistreatment of his brethren, the misuse of his people by their own people. And the Bible said his initial emotional response was not just a calm, cool, collected response, but initially upon hearing this news, he was not just angry, but the Bible said he was very angry. But the next phrase of the next verse is what I believe God will use to help us tonight. Look what the Bible says. Nehemiah says, Then I consulted with myself. Nehemiah could have easily blown his fuse, lost his testimony, and squandered his ability to lead those people from this point forward had he followed his initial emotional response and not paused for a moment and allowed principle to kick in and allow principle to gauge his response. 
Now, if we were to talk tonight about leadership, I think we would say Nehemiah, without question, is a leader. He's a leader of people. He's a leader of the nobles, the priests, the workers, the men, the women, and the children. But I don't believe that's the most impressive leadership quality that Nehemiah possessed. And I don't believe that those are the most vital. But I believe the most vital quality of leadership, if you will, that Nehemiah possessed was the ability to first lead himself. I think the reason why a lot of marriages have problems, a lot of churches have problems, a lot of people in life go through life with problems, it's because they don't possess, or at least they do not practice this quality of self-leadership. Tonight I want to preach on this thought, leadership 101. And I'm praying tonight God will help us with this principle from the book of Nehemiah. Let's pray and we'll get into the message. Lord, I pray for your power. I pray that you'd speak to our hearts tonight. I pray that you'd help us not just to go through the motions in this service, not just to punch it off the list, but I pray you'd help us to tune in and hear from heaven tonight. I pray you'd help a husband, help a wife, help a man, help a lady, help a young person, help our church through this thought this evening in Jesus' name. Amen. I read a little while ago, a man wrote this list, and he wrote the list entitled, titled it, The World Needs Leaders. And here's the list. He said, the world needs leaders who cannot be bought. The world needs leaders whose word is their promise. The world needs leaders who put character above wealth. The world needs leaders who possess opinions and a will. The world needs leaders who do not hesitate to take chances. The world needs leaders who will not lose their individuality in a crowd. The world needs leaders who will be honest in small things as well as in great things. The world needs leaders who will make no compromise with wrong. The world needs leaders whose ambitions are not confined to their own selfish desires. The world needs leaders who are not ashamed or unafraid to stand for the truth when it's unpopular. Then he said, the world needs leaders who can say no with emphasis, although the rest of the world says yes. Now, I think that's a pretty good list of leadership qualities and what we would want to find in a leader. But I believe that there is another attribute that is more vital and it would precede everything that man put there on his list. Now, sometimes tonight, and maybe you already understand this, a pastor prepares a sermon that he already understands this is going to make for easy preaching. I mean, just as you prepare the message, you know this is going to come off easy. The people are going to enjoy listening to it, and we're going to have a good time in church tonight. And I'll be honest with you, I love it when God gives me those kind of sermons. I like it when God gives me a sermon on salvation. That makes for easy preaching. I like it when God gives me a sermon on the rapture. That makes for easy preaching. I like it when God gives me a sermon on revival. That makes for easy preaching. And you just know when you go to the pulpit, I'm going to have a good time preaching this, and the people are going to have a good time listening to it, and we're just going to have a good time in church. I like those kind of messages. But sometimes God will give a man a message that takes a little bit more toil in his study, a little more work in the pulpit, and it'll take more work on behalf of those who are going to listen to him preach. Now, I don't know if that's the kind of message this will be tonight, but I have a feeling this might be the second kind of a message. And it's not because I'm not stirred up about the truth, because I am stirred up about this truth. But the reason is, it's far more instructional than it is 
inspirational. It's practical more so than doctrinal. But I believe it's very important. I honestly believe tonight that if I could get every person to get a hold of this truth, me included, we would live a happier life, have a better marriage, and be a better ambassador for the Lord Jesus Christ. It might not get as many amens as a sermon on the rapture, but I do believe it'll help us to be better people, better citizens, and all around better Christians. Now tonight, buzzwords, have you heard that term before? Buzzwords are a big part of American culture. A buzzword is a word or a phrase that catches momentum or gains popularity for a span of time. Often these are words that have been around for a long time, but a new spin or a new light is put on these words and they become the proverbial bell of the vocabulary ball for just a certain season. I mean, books are written about them. Seminars are held to discuss them. They find their way into quotes and phrases. They find their way on social media. They get hashtagged and they trend. And today there are several words that would fit that word buzzword. For example, here is what I would call a buzzword in the moment. The word equity. Have you been hearing that word mentioned by liberal politicians? Equity. What about this phrase? Critical race theory. That's a buzzword in this moment. What about this word, identity? That's a big buzzword right now. Here's another buzzword, the word community. All of these words are used often in American conversation. Well, there's another word that is a buzzword. It's been a buzzword, especially for the last decade or so, and it's that word leadership. Now, leadership is not a bad word. It is a Bible word, but leadership has become a bit of a buzzword as of late. I do believe leadership is needed, and leadership is encouraged by the Word of God. Often when we think of leadership, we think of the head of a corporation. When we think of leadership, we think of a president. When we think of leadership, we think of a military general. When I think of a leader, I think of someone with a position of power, a charismatic personality, and a tenacious drive to succeed in whatever it is that they're doing. Lee Robertson made a statement many years ago. He said, everything rises and falls on leadership. And no question about it, when it comes to leadership, there is great expectation and there's great responsibility. Now, I want you to hear this statement tonight. Everyone, to one degree or another, is a leader. I want to say it again. Everyone, to one degree or another, is a leader. A leader is one with authority. A leader is one with accountability. A leader is one who has a following. Every person tonight is a leader to some extent. Now, I did not say tonight everyone is a good leader, but tonight everybody is a leader. Every man is a leader in his house. Every mother is a leader to her children. Every child is a leader to some other child that looks up to them. Every pastor is a leader. Every Christian is a leader. Leadership is influence. Leadership is instruction. Leadership is direction. Leadership is discernment. And everyone, to one degree or another, is a leader. Now tonight, you and I don't need to go to the world to find our example of leadership. 
We don't need to buy a secular leadership book to find an example of what a leader ought to be. Tonight, I believe that we have the perfect example of what God desires in a leader as we study the person of the Lord Jesus Christ. Tonight, Jesus is the quintessential leader. And if you want to have a study in leadership, then study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Just consider his leadership. People followed him. Why? Because of what he taught. People followed him, but why? Because of what he preached. People followed him. Why? Because of his character. People followed him. Why? Because he showed compassion toward them. People followed Christ because of how he lived his life and how he handled himself. Here's leadership. Christ had power, but he never abused it. That's leadership. Christ had influence, but he never sold it. That is leadership. Christ had understanding, but he never misused it. That is leadership. Christ was pure in his motive. He was principled in everything that he did. He was sincere in his love and clear in his vision. And Jesus, no doubt about it, is the perfect example of what a leader ought to be and how a leader ought to look. In fact, from the outset of his ministry, Jesus said, follow me. So if you want to study in leadership, go to the Gospels and study the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now tonight we're talking about the subject, Leadership 101. I want to make the statement again, everything rises or falls on leadership. And every person here tonight, to one degree or another, is a leader. We hear leadership spoken of quite often in our day. And I believe it's because there is such a dearth of biblical leadership in our generation. Let me get off my outline for a minute and just say, we desperately need leadership in the home. We need men to stand up and be the spiritual high priest of their household. We need leadership in our state. We need leadership in our nation. We need leadership at the workplace. Leadership is a needed thing in our generation. General Patton said this. He said, lead me, follow me, or get out of my way. Now, everyone tonight wants to be a leader. But I'm here to tell you that everyone here tonight, to one degree or another, is a leader. So tonight, think with me on this thought, leadership 101. Now, Nehemiah chapter 5. Nehemiah is in another chapter of conflict in his life. If you think that we're going to do a work for God without any adversity or any conflict, then you are out of your mind. If you set out to do a work for God, believe me, the devil will try to stop that work for God. Nehemiah has been dealing with threats. He's been dealing with danger. He's been dealing with discouraged workers. He's been enduring slander. People want Nehemiah to fail. But now when you come to chapter 5, Nehemiah is not just battling threats or trouble from the outside. Now he's got to deal with drama or trouble from the inside. These people that had united to do a work for God are now being divided by the issues of life. Let me call time out and say this. There is enough hell and trouble from the devil on the outside for you and I to raise it and cause it on 
on the inside. Can I say that inward dissension is far more dangerous than outward conflict to a local church? You and I ought to resolve never to be that one that causes trouble or causes drama or causes division in our local church. But that's what Nehemiah is dealing with, trouble rising from within. Now, this story finds Nehemiah not rebuilding the walls, but now he has to set out and try to rebuild his people. Here's the summary of what's happening. In Nehemiah 5, some of the families are so poverty stricken that they have to steal just to survive. There's a food crisis in Jerusalem. The enemy has them surrounded with an iron ring. They can't get out for aid and aid cannot come in. The remnant are surrounded and held in the city. They're captives, if you will. They're locked in and now they're barely surviving. Nehemiah hears this news. It's given to him in the first two verses that people are literally having to steal from their brethren just to have something to eat. The other part of the remnant, to avoid stealing corn, they mortgage their houses and their lands. The problem is they mortgage them to crooked men who use the remnant to feather their own nests. There are wicked people in places of power that are taking advantage of their starving brethren. They're demanding high interest rates on their loans. And if they don't have money to pay for the loans, then they're demanding they give their sons and their daughters to be servants or slaves to them. Not only that, some are auctioning off their children to be slaves to the Gentile people that live in the area. Think about it. Poor Jews are being sold or loaned to rich Jews. Some are being sold to slave, as slaves to foreign people. Jerusalem is in a mess. You think San Francisco's bad. You should have lived in Jerusalem. Can I say anytime you have pagan leadership and pagan policies and a godless society, you're going to have havoc in a city. On top of that, the Persian king is enforcing an outrageously high tax rate on the remnant. Let me make this statement. No government has ever worked to make money, but every government works to take money. And that's exactly what the Persian king is doing. Now these Jewish people are having to take what money they save to pay taxes to buy corn or else they're going to lose their land. They have to use it to pay the mortgage or else they're going to lose their land. So here it is. There's an overreaching government. There's high taxes. There's skyrocketing interest rate. There are crooked bankers. There's crooked politicians. There's slavery and starvation. And that is what Nehemiah reads and hears about in Nehemiah chapter number five. Now, before we move on, let me ask you the question. Don't you think that would sort of upset Nehemiah? Don't you think that might get under his skin just a little bit? Don't you think that this man who was a blood red, diehard, patriotic, Jerusalem loving felt, don't you think he got a little bit, I don't know, unhinged when he heard about the corruption in that city? Maybe it bothered him when he heard about the mortgage rate and the interest rates and the slavery and the starvation. I think it probably bothered him a little bit. Let me ask you, let's bring it into today. I mean, would you consider yourself a patriotic American? Would you consider yourself somebody who loves our country? 
Well, does it not bother you to see what goes on in our country? It kind of bothers me. It kind of bothers me when I looked on Facebook that the, uh, the uh, profile picture or whatever it is for the White House is a gay pride symbol. Kind of bothered me. We have our pride flag out right now. It's red, white, and blue. And we don't just fly it one month. We fly it all year around. It kind of bothers me. It kind of bothers me that we have a border crisis and our vice president has not even gone to the border. It kind of bothers me. She's more worried about climate change. She doesn't care about drug dealers coming in. She's worried about those tadpoles not having deep enough mud holes in Mississippi to be comfortable. That kind of bothers me a little bit. When I hear about those kind of things, it kind of upsets me. It upsets me the Democrats want to tax me more. It's already like 51% on my dollar in California as it is, but they want to tax me more for an infrastructure bill that includes indoctrinating our children in perversity with the gay stuff, the queer stuff at our right at our school. That kind of bothers me a little bit. Kind of gets me stirred up a little bit. You say, yeah, not get that way. Well, Nehemiah got that way. You say, I bet he wasn't that bothered. No, he was pretty bothered by what he heard was going on in his city. The flesh of Nehemiah didn't like that report at all. In fact, in verse number six, the Bible tells us the emotional state of Nehemiah after he hears the report. Let's just say it like this. He wasn't cool, calm, and collected. He wasn't looking forward to sitting around the campfire singing kumbaya and holding hands with the ministerial association. He's not in the mood for a promise keeper's convention and he wasn't looking to trade a friend slip, a friendship bracelet with somebody. He is, here, let me put it in layman's terms, he is ticked off. It's like Ernest T. Bass said. He said, I'm a little mean, but I make up for it by being real healthy. Yeah. Nehemiah is feeling just a little bit mean. In verse number six, look what the Bible said. And I was, see what it says? Very angry. If there's one thing we've learned about Nehemiah, it's that he's a passionate man. He's not only passionate, he's a little bit impetuous. And he's very dynamic. And you can see it in the way his heart is moved in chapter 1 by hearing about the city. You can see it in the way he boldly approaches the king and asks for permission to go back and rebuild the walls. You can see it in his charisma that he was able to rally a remnant to rise up together and build. You can see it in his courage to keep on working, though the crowd outside was cussing everything that he did. You can see it in his tenacity when he decided to pick up a sword in one hand and a trowel in the other and just keep on building for the glory of God. I want to say it again. Nehemiah is a passionate man. But on top of being passionate, don't forget this, he is an accountable man. And Nehemiah's position has put him in a place of leadership. He's not a cupbearer in chapter number 5. He's a representative of the king in chapter 5. He's not a servant. Now he is a governor in the city of Jerusalem. There are nobles and priests and men and women and families looking to Nehemiah for leadership. Now he's a man of emotion. We've seen that in chapter 1 through chapter number 4. And now when he hears about the injustice toward his people, the Bible said he is very angry. Now let me say this, emotion is not a bad thing. God created you and I with the ability to experience emotions. There are some things you ought to get mad about. There are some things I'll stir you up. There are some things that'll give you joy. 
There are some things that break your heart. It is normal to feel excitement. It is normal to shed tears. Jesus experienced the full spectrum of emotion. And I'll say this, we are not supposed to be redeemed robots or saved statues or mannequins in the ministry. Say amen right there. It's not to be an oil painting of a church congregation. We ought to show some emotion about life and the things of God. Ecclesiastes 3 tells us there's a time to weep, a time to laugh, a time to mourn, and a time to dance. And I'd rather have somebody show some emotion than have somebody who looks like they were embalmed 10 years ago and somebody forgot to bury their carcass. Thank you for the examples tonight in the tents. But let me say this. Unchecked emotion and emotion allowed to dictate reaction is a dangerous thing. It is normal to show emotion, but it's destructive to be driven by emotion. That's why Saul threw a javelin at David. That's why Samson laid his head in the lap of a harlot. That's why Peter cut off a guy's ear. Now, Nehemiah at this moment, and I'll apply it and we'll be through, has the eyes of the remnant on him. There's more work to do. But if Nehemiah mishandled this moment, he could have squandered his potential to fulfill the will of God. I think as we come to verse 7, we see Nehemiah's leadership skill put on display. This is better leadership than the leadership he had when he stood before the king. This is better leadership than he had leading that, uh, that entourage to Jerusalem. This is better leadership than the leadership to rally the remnant and stage them around the wall. This is the crash course in the essential of leadership. This is better than General MacArthur in the uh, Southwest Pacific. This is better than George Washington at Valley Forge, if you will. This is better than Moses leading Israel toward the Jordan River. Now, listen, you don't have to have a command of an army to be a leader tonight. You don't have to be the pastor of a church to be a leader tonight. You don't have to be a CEO to be a leader tonight. I believe every person breathing air this evening can and should possess this quality of true leadership. In verse 5, we read what Nehemiah heard. In verse 6, we find what Nehemiah felt. But in verse 7, we find that leadership quality. Look with me. He said, then I consulted with myself. You know what that means? Nehemiah took a moment. Nehemiah heard what he heard. He felt what he felt. But listen to me. He allowed a span of time between his initial emotion and his eventual reaction. Here's what he did. He reacted on purpose rather than reacting on impulse. Read what the verse says. It says, Nehemiah consulted with himself. You know what that means in country language? He molded over. He stewed on it. He thought for a minute. He slowed down. He took a breath. And he made emotion bow to principle before he responded. I can see Nehemiah talking to himself in his head. He's ticked off. Man, he's mad. I mean, he doesn't like what he hears in Jerusalem. He doesn't like the way these people are being mistreated. And he'd like to slug whoever it was that did it. 
I mean, he's a red-blooded man. He's not like these fellows parading around this month in the streets of our cities. He's a real man. I mean, he's got testosterone, and I mean, he's just a real man. He wanted to take this thing out back and sell it at first. But I can see Nehemiah calming himself and thinking, I'm leading these people. Their eyes are on me. I can't afford to be stupid in the moment and squander my potential. So he consults with himself, and the Bible tells us he slows down before he reacts. Now, he was angry, but he didn't let his anger get the best of him. He controlled his emotions. If we were to put this in secular slang, he would say, we would say cooler heads prevailed. But I like to think of it like this. He allowed principle and the spirit of God to prevail in his life. Now, I want you to hear this statement that an older preacher made to me just about the ministry in general many years ago. He said, Brother Cooper, you'll never be allowed or able to lead others until you first learn how to lead yourself. Proverbs 25, 28 says, He that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. What kind of success do you think Nehemiah would have had going forward had he blown a fuse right here in chapter number five? He was accountable to a lot of people. More so, he was accountable to God. And Nehemiah was right to be angry, yes. But he would not have been right to allow his anger to get the best of him and cause him to react in an ungodly fashion. So here is leadership 101. It is learning to lead yourself. It is not allowing your emotions or situations or circumstances to lead you, but you stay in control and lead yourself. Here's what Paul said. I keep under my body and bring it into subjection. Proverbs 16.32 He that is slow to anger is better than the mighty and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. I wonder tonight how many marriages have failed because husbands cannot lead themselves. How many marriages have failed because wives failed leadership 101. How many churches have split, splintered, they're gone because folks could not pass this simple leadership, leadership 101. I'm not impressed with how many people you might lead if you cannot lead yourself. 1 Samuel 30 and verse 6, David was greatly distressed for the people spake of stoning him because the soul of all the people was grieved, every man for his sons and for his daughters, but David encouraged himself in the Lord. That's self-leadership. 2 Corinthians 2, 1 and 2. But I determined this with myself, that I would not come again to you in heaviness, for if I make you sorry, who is he then that maketh me glad, but the same which is made sorry by me? I think of Job. Job lost his family. Job lost his flesh. Job lost his fields and his livestock. His finances were gone. But the Bible said in all this, Job sinned not nor charged God for foolishly. Now tonight it's not very deep, but it is pretty biblical. And here it is. You and I are not to be ruled by our spirit, but we're to allow the Holy Spirit to have rule over us and we're to have this quality of self-leadership. I think about I think about the example my grandfather told me. He was growing up in Boone County, West Virginia. In Boone County, West Virginia, that's where the women have more beards than the men. 
It's a rough place. They're coal miners. I mean, you type Boone County in your GPS, and it says you've got to be kidding me. I mean, that's just where it is. He said there was this preacher, and he named his name. He said, that fellow didn't get past the fifth grade. He said, he was rough. I mean, he was a moonshiner, a bootlegger. He was a cusser and a fighter, but then God saved his soul. He said, one day he was sitting at the train depot. He said, all there was to do is watch the coal trains come and go. Everybody go to that train depot. He said, me and my friends thought it'd be funny to sneak up and roll an M80 firecracker under the backside of that preacher while he sat there at the train depot. Now, if you don't know what an M80 firecracker is, that's because you're sheltered or you've lived in a liberal area for so long. Can I say, those things are awesome. You can blow up a mailbox. Everybody listen to me. There's a lot of things. You've got to get them smuggled in across the border nowadays. But we had those when I was growing up. He said, we rolled, we took an M80 firecracker. He said, we lit that thing. He said, that fuse began to burn so slow. He said, we threw that thing underneath that preacher. He's sitting there half asleep at the train depot. He said, that M80 firecracker, that fuse began to burn down. He said, it was like birds quit flying in mid-flat. Bees quit buzzing in mid-buzz and time just stood still. He said, all of a sudden, that M80 firecracker burnt down, went bam, and that preacher went up in the sky like the rapture took place and everybody else was lost and headed for hell. He said, he went up about five feet, he came back down, and in one fluid motion, he said, he grabbed me by the collar and lifted me up. He said, his eyes were big around his paper plates. He had veins like PVC pipe on his neck, eyes bugging and staring at me. He said, that man was a, bar, a brawler, a barroom guy back. And he said, I thought I was dead. In fact, here's what he said. He said, I thought he was going to read my title clear. That's what he said. He said, he set me back down after a minute. And he brushed me off. And he said, son, there was a day you wouldn't have got away with that. He said, but I'm not the man that I used to be. You say, what is that? That is self-leadership. Today... We are living in such an emotional hour. People are captive to the emotions. They're happy, they're sad, they're offended, they're rude, they're up and they're down. And it is crazy how caught up in our feelings we are. Would you consider this generation? Men are so soft in our generation. I don't have problems with women not liking the way I preach. Usually it's these sissy men that don't like hard preaching. I was driving home from camp yesterday and turned it on sports radio just long enough to get mad. I used to be able to watch ESPN and not think it was MSNBC. I listened to ESPN radio or something like that for just a second. I'm not as spiritual as you. KNVBC didn't come in, so I listened to ESPN. But anyway, I, I was driving, and they're talking about this grown man who gets paid millions of dollars to play a game for a living who needed to take some time off to decompress. He was experiencing social anxiety and needed to hit the reset button. Kyrie Irving, who thinks the world is flat, is all upset and says it's microaggression and subtle racism because somebody threw a water bottle at him at a basketball game. When I was in college, we threw the entire trash can on the field at West Virginia University. There was a dead deer on the side of the road, and I, I wasn't part of it, but I knew who was. And they put it in the trunk of the other team's quarterback's car one time. I don't know how long that took to find out, but anyway. He's upset. 
Here's what he did. He walked out on the center court of the Boston Garden and stuck his foot and rubbed on the face of their mascot on the floor. And as he's walking out, some Boston Celtics fan, probably drunk out of his mind, by the way, it's amazing how many problems have he solved if they didn't serve liquor and beer at these things, threw a bottle at him as he exited. He had a meltdown. We have young men, young ladies in foxholes who are dodging bullets that don't cry as much as an overpaid social justice warrior princess who gets paid to dribble a basketball. Men are so soft. Women are so vicious. I'm glad they're not like that here. Maybe you are at home and probably so. But they're like that out here in the world. I mean, they're scary, man. I'd rather get in a fight with five hockey players than one woman at TJ Maxx. They just show up mad. They're ferocious. They're foaming at the mouth. If it was old yellow, they'd have put them out back a long time ago. They got rabies. Young people, they're obnoxious. Not all of them. They're entitled, lazy, disrespectful. Can I say what that is? It's a sign of a failure in self-leadership. I've said it before. Fire is a blessing when it's controlled. Water is a blessing when it's controlled. But when you let those things get out of control, they wreak havoc. Emotions are a God-given thing for you and I. But if they are not controlled, if we allow them to control us, they will wreak havoc in every area of life. I am not called to be moody. Oh my. I feel like I'm helping more tonight though. I'm getting less amens. I am not called to be moody. I am called to be like Jesus Christ. Romans 13, 4 tells me to put on the Lord Jesus Christ and make no provision for my flesh. How many times have you heard somebody say, well, I'm just really sensitive. Bless your heart. I'm just really sensitive too. I'm sensitive about you being stinking sensitive. I'm just really sensitive. Or they'll say, I'm just emotional. I don't mean to give you all these Andy Griffith quotes. I remember Barney Fife said, I just hate it when people say I'm sensitive. You know? They say, I'm just wired that way. You're not wired that way. You're just more fleshly than you ought to be. Our wiring's not the problem. Our flesh is the problem. I'm supposed to be controlled by the Holy Spirit of God. We have these churches. They do mental health workshops. And I'm not against that. But your mental health is not the problem so much as your spiritual health. And same with me. If I'd let the Holy Spirit of God, the mind of Christ, dwell within me richly, if I'd bring every thought into the captivity of Jesus Christ, if I'd let this mind be in me, which was also in Christ Jesus, and let the Holy Spirit of God guide me and lead me in life, I wouldn't have so much problem with my anxiety and my reaction and my emotions. And can I say I'm not trying to be harsh or mean, but I am saying you and I ought to graduate from the proverbial nursery and be big boys and big girls and learn to control ourselves. Nehemiah could have been ticked. He could have lost his cool, but he consulted with himself. That list that man read or wrote that I read to you just a moment ago had a lot of good things on it. But I think the most essential quality of leadership is the ability to lead yourself. You might stand before you might not stand before a sea of soldiers and command them. You might not pastor a church. You might not even be married. You might not have children. You might not be a Sunday school teacher. You might not manage an office. But every person here is a leader. And I want to say it again. Everything will fall, rise or fall on leadership. But the most important aspect of leadership is, how are you leading yourself? I wonder tonight 
if you could stand up, if we were to pass this lapel mic or get a handheld and just go from tent to tent, person to person, and maybe even go to the cars back there. And we're to let everybody testify and let God stand behind the pulpit and be the judge of true or false. I wonder if you could stand up and say, and it'd be true, I have been in control of my emotions this week. I've been in control of my emotions today. Or I wonder if you'd have to say, you know what, I've failed in how I've reacted and responded to certain situations of life, even of late. Can I say that is as much sin as adultery, drinking, murder, or anything else. If we don't have rule over our spirit, the book of Proverbs calls it. I think it'd keep us from a lot of problems in life if we'd learn Leadership 101. Thank you for listening to the audio preaching podcast from North Valley Baptist Church in Santa Clara, California, led by Pastor Jack Treber. For more information about our ministry or to find out how to get in contact with us, visit our website at nvbc.org. May God bless you as you serve Him this week.